Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What up, podcast fam? Today is a very special guest, a special friend of mine, a brother and mentor to me, Ben Luntz. I first met Ben five years ago at Experience Camp's free one-week camp for kids ages 9 to 16 that have lost a loved one. Ben and I were sitting at the, the lunch table in the cafeteria and just sort of instantly connected. It was one of those weird moments where I guess a friendship just clicks and you feel like you knew the other person for a lifetime. Ben is an incredible friend, mentor, and brother. Professionally, Ben is a partner at Indicator Ventures, where he invests in early-stage companies focused on various opportunities across the digital landscape. Their portfolio includes 32 companies and over 2,000 employees, and they've helped lead several companies through a successful acquisition. When Ben's not working, you can find him chilling with his new pup, Fisher, surfing, hiking, and hanging with friends. On uh, this podcast, we talk a bit about loss, Ben's story, and really building a life you love. We focus a lot around career professional advice and hope you guys enjoy. Make sure to leave a review at the end. Enjoy. So where to begin? I'm pumped you're on my show. You're officially the third guest now that I had Dave earlier today. That's awesome. Three is my lucky number. There you go. And basically, just sort of as like I mentioned... No real agenda. I know I sent you a little like a uh, blur before, but no real agenda. Just sort of have like a nice discussion, catch up and see where the conversation brings us. But I guess like we could dive into it with, with a little bit of like why I decided to start this podcast and see where the combo goes. So I really wanted to start this podcast to connect with interesting people, both in and outside of my network that have overcome something significant in life, not necessarily lost, but for the time being, I'm interviewing or speaking with a lot of people who have faced significant loss and speaking to them around the adversity that they faced and ultimately how they over overcame or continued to overcome in an effort to build a life they love. So I guess with that, maybe we could take it back to you as, as a young kid and you know, I sort of hand the mic to you and you could tell us a little bit about your story, however much detail or not that you want to share. Sort of treat this as like a circle time at camp. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if that's the case, then I'm probably not going to hold anything back. But <laughs> no, uh, not to say that your podcast isn't as sacred as, as Camp Circle, but I, I it's probably not going to share that much. Anyways, let, let me just jump into it. So my story my father died of pancreatic cancer when I was nine years old. Actually, I just turned nine. He was diagnosed when I was a little older than eight years old, and it was nine months uh, from the time that he was diagnosed until the time that he passed away. So in a nutshell, that's, that's my story. You know, in terms of adding a little bit more context to it, you know, my dad was, I think, as many fathers are to to boys in particular, he he was the most important person in my life. 
He was my idol. He was the person that I looked up to the most and tried to emulate the most and and probably drew most of, of my character from. You know, you're very impressionable as as a young child. And, you know, for most most boys, their their dad is the most important person that they look up to. So, you know, losing losing your dad at, at that age is is really difficult. You know, I it, and it was not only difficult for me, but for my younger sister who was three at the time. And so, you know, she has a different experience. She didn't know my dad as as well as I did, although I often wish I, I knew him better. And, you know, one of the things I grapple with the most is just not having been able to, to, to spend as much time with him as, as I would have liked to and and have gotten to know him as, as much as I would have liked to. So my dad was like 39 when, when he died and, and my mom's a couple years younger. So she was, you know, 37 years old and left with a three and, and a nine-year-old or four and nine. And I can't even imagine how, how difficult that must have been for her and and how stressful and, and scary and, and all those things. So, yeah. So I, I grew up without a dad and uh, my mom remarried when I was 14. Really nice guy. And it was, it was nice to, in particular for my mom, I think, to have someone else just, just to be her partner and, and take care of, you know, stuff that needs to get taken care of. And that's, you know, personally, professionally, emotionally, financially, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's, that's, I guess I could, I could ramble on forever, but forever, but that's, I guess, in a nutshell, my story. Yeah. Would you say when you were, when your dad was first diagnosed, were you, given you were so young, were you like aware of what was going on? So it's hard to know for sure, because I look at everything, you know, sort of with hindsight bias, but from what I remember, you know, I, I initially, I think my mom and my dad sort of sugarcoated it. You know, they're like, your, your dad's not feeling well. He's sick. You know, okay. You know, as a kid, you know, you, you know, people get sick and they get better. You know, I, I think it, it was probably an attempt to protect me to some degree. And I, I think also initially they probably didn't know how bad it was. You know, it started off, he was experiencing some back pains and he went into the hospital as people often do. And later found out after a series of tests that, you know, he had pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I didn't know that that pancreatic cancer was as deadly as as it is. I think it's, you know, it has less than a 10% survival rate. And that's today with modern medicine, 30, 30 some odd years later. I think it, it first struck me when at some point, you know, I, I was told that, that my dad had cancer. And I, re- I remember that just being like, whoa, like, that's really bad. Like that's, that's more than just sick. That's like, you can, you can die from that. But again, I, I, I don't think it was something that I process. And again, I think my, my parents did a pretty good job to, to shield me. You know, at some point though, it was, it became apparent, you know, despite the fact that I was young and, and didn't know what was going on. Like when you see your, you know, father start chemo and, and, and pancreatic cancer in particular really just destroys your body. And so he lost a ton of weight and, you know, eventually lost his hair. And you start to see someone deteriorate like that, you know, what's coming. So at that point, when I saw my dad, like physically deteriorating, it was uh, very scary. Got it. That's kind of impressive, I guess, being so young. When my dad was sick, I was, I guess, so sheltered from, and I was in college, but I guess I was so sheltered from all of it 
that every time I'd come home from school, he was significantly sicker or like worse than when I saw him last. And like progressively, first he had like a walker, then he was in a wheelchair, and then he couldn't go from like his bed to the bathroom without completely being out of breath. But I still like I was like, oh, dad's really sick. But like it never really crossed my mind, even at 20 years old, that I guess like that death was even part of the equation. But I guess part of it also was my dad like sheltered me from so much of it. And I was really unaware of how sick he really was. Yeah. And I I think my parents did the the same thing or tried to. That said, I remember being at at summer camp. Well, there was visiting day. And and I remember my my dad, my mom came up for visiting day. And he was so fragile just from, you know, the the cancer and the chemo and everything. He had to get a golf cart because he couldn't walk around. and, And I just remember... I remember that distinctly because it was like, oh man, that's that's not good. Yeah. Mm. So once your dad passed away, I'm curious. I feel like many people who are who are going to listen to this, whether they have a younger sibling who or a son or daughter, and they're in you know similar shoes. I'm curious. One, how long would you say one it took you to sort of get to like change your state? I guess like what was that like after your dad passed away, and then following your dad's death. As a child, I guess I'm curious, like what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was horrible. You know, it was it was incredibly traumatic. It was incredibly sad. It was in- incredibly frustrating. I remember just like you know, it took it took a while to to sort of come to grips that that I wasn't ever going to see him again. You know, wasn't ever going to hear his voice again. And that was just like, I, I had a really hard time processing that. I was just incredibly sad. You know, I, again, you know, my dad was, was the most important person to me. And so to, to not have him around anymore just sucked. Mm-hmm. I, I think I just like was really aware of that, of just like how, sh- how shitty it, it was. Obvious. I mean, obviously, but I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, that seemed obvious, but. I don't know. A lot of people, everyone deals with grief differently. And it was just so clear to me how, how crappy of a situation I was in. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I was lucky to have, you know, close friends and family uh, support network. And I, I think that, you know, that helped. Yeah. It was, it was really painful for, for a long time. I mean, it, I'm talking about it 30 years later. It still is, you know? Yeah. I think the pain is something you like always carry with you. I say it lightheartedly, but like, obviously in this crazy Corona situation, I'm here in my childhood home where like, I have a lot of positive memories, but equal to that, definitely this is where I saw my dad deteriorate. This is where my mom told me she had cancer. And I was like, what in the actual fuck? And I know I say it jokingly, like my house gives me the spooks a little bit, but I think that's me trying to make light. I think like deep down, I I think there's a lot of hurt and pain in like coming home, even though I love my child at home. Yeah. You know, again, grief's different for everybody. For for me, it it never went away. You know, that said, I, I think one thing that I focus on in terms of dealing with it, transitioning, whatever you want to say is instead of focusing on, you know, how, how shitty of a situation it was, you know, how much I miss him, wish he was still here, is to try and just, you know, focus on, on the positive things, right? So 
celebrating, you know, how great of a guy he was, his character, his enthusiasm, his energy is, you know, the things that, you know, that made him unique that inevitably, you know, rubbed off on me that, that, that helped to shape me and, and in turn make me unique and, you know, and trying to embrace that, trying to lean into that, you know, but it's, it's hard. So I heard someone say something the other, the other day, they were, they were talking about mourning the, the loss of, of a, was a parent or loved one, whatever it was. And they said, you know, when you think there'll be a time in your life, you know, that this was advice to, to someone who had just lost someone. And they said, there'll be a time in your life where you'll think of that person. And in, instead of tears coming to your, to your eyes, a smile will come to your face. And I, I think that that speaks volumes in, in terms of what I'm talking about. You know, 30 years later, and I'm, <laughs> that's where I'm trying to, to be, some days are better than others. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's like sort of like a swing where it swings, you know, it swings on, on both ends where sometimes all you want to do is cry. For me, at least five years later, a year plus later, and other times you want to smile and sometimes it's just like in the middle. Yeah, for sure. Um, emotions are, are complex. We are emotional creatures and a lot of complexities come from that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a up and down for sure. <laughs> yeah. I personally have found that and continue to find that I guess I found a lot of strength through my loss and a lot of I guess like growth in all of this, I mean, I'm sure you feel like your your loss has significantly shaped you to become who you are today. I guess if there's anything that you can speak to as it relates to like how your loss has pushed you to become who you are today or helped form you to who you are today or your mindset or just sort of how you live your life. Yeah, there's certainly no question about it. You know, experiences shape people and, you know, and, and so the experiences that we go through are, are what shape us as, as people. And, you know, especially traumatic experiences, my experiences shape me in a number of different ways, I think both good and bad. So starting with the fact that I think, and I think about this often, when you're forced to deal with something that heavy uh, at that age, you grow up very quickly. And so I always was a little bit more mature, I think, for, for my age. And, you know, whether that meant I was I was more serious or or thoughtful or or whatever conversely the opposite you know that was one thing that shaped me for sure and another thing you know I've I've always been very driven you know I think when you go through an experience like that there's there's all this energy all this emotion right and you know you got to channel that somehow interestingly enough and I don't know what this the statistic is but there are a lot of very successful people that have, have lost a parent or both parents. And I think that that's, you know, not a coincidence. I, I think that that's a, a, an outcome that's, that's based on, you know, adversity can build strength and it can force you to, you know, to do things that, you know, you might not want to, or well, you might not even have a choice. Right. And so it's like, you know, emotions, psychological things are, are a lot, a lot similar to physical things. Right. And it's like, you know, uh, once you do something physically that you didn't think that you could do, you're like, wow, I, I did that. Well, let me 
that, that's impressive. I could do it again, or, or maybe go try something else I didn't think I could do. And I, I think emotions are are similar. You know, it's like you know, and I'm sure you had thoughts like this when when your dad died or when your mom died, where it's like I, I can't do this. I, I can't. I, I'm not. I don't know how I'm gonna go on. But you do, and then you kind of you look back and you're like, oh, okay, I did it. You know, I got through it. And you know. Whether that's, you know, running a marathon, which I know that's something that you recently <laughs> did. And <laughs> it's just when you come out on the other side of something that you didn't think that you could do or get through, then, you know, that that gives you a little bit more, whether it's courage or, or just an understanding that something is possible. I think that that creates motivation. And so anyways, I've, I had, I've had a lot of energy. That's gone both ways. I got into a lot of trouble when I was, when I was a teenager. In large part, because of that energy, I, I think also I would often just say, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, I, don't, I literally, I don't, I don't care, right? Like, my, my dad died. I don't give a shit. Like, so what? Like, nothing matters, right? I, I lost the most important person in my life and for no rhyme or reason. And, and it's, it's so unfair. You and I have talked about this a lot, right? Like, that, that concept of, like, what's fair and what's not fair is so fucking unfair. Like, it's just, it's infuriating. So, yeah, I remember I, I, you know, I didn't believe in God. I still probably don't. But, it, like, that was, I remember I remember getting kicked out of Sunday school because I, I told the rabbi I was an idiot because, you know, he's telling all these all these kids about God. And, like, I was like there's no God, bunch of idiots. Um, <laughs> he didn't really appreciate that. But we had a very, uh, very oh, deep God. conversation about that. And. You know, it was like, and it's interesting, you know, you and I remember also had a conversation about, you know, whether or not everything happens for a reason. And I remember sitting in, in my, yeah. you know, my rabbi's office or whatever the heck it was, is like the equivalent of the principal's office for Sunday school. And, and I was like, yeah, God doesn't exist. If he did, why would he let my dad die? Oh, well, son, uh, Ben, uh, God works in, in, uh, in mysterious ways. Oh yeah, Rabbi. What? Yeah. So you're saying my dad died for a reason? You're a fucking asshole too. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you actually um, told him? Probably. Basically. Yeah. I don't think he appreciated <laughs> that either. Although I appreciated being suspended from Sunday school. It was very nice to not have to go. <laughs> my mom didn't appreciate that very much. Yeah. Understandably so, but. Seriously, I, yeah, I, you know, again, experiences shape, you know, who you are, how you act, how you think. And so, yeah, it was like, okay, so you're telling me that like God has a plan and like my, my dad needed to die in order for me to, you know, learn X, Y, and Z. Fuck that. Fuck you. Give me my dad back. I'm happy not learning those things. And yeah. you're the one that I think ultimately turned me on this. I, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, people say, oh, everything happens for a reason, right? And, you know, it's like, no, I don't know about that. You know, maybe you want to, you know, draw up some whole scheme about, you know, this thing's related to that thing and whatever. I, I don't know. Things just happen, right? And like, that's just life. Like, Amen. I mean, that's how I feel. I mean, I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't believe anything happens for a reason. I think things just happen. I mean, honestly, I feel like people just need comfort. So they're so fast to to apply like reason to something that brings them some level of discomfort. So they're like quick to, I mean, 
I'm sure people right now are like, oh, Corona happened for X, Y, Z. But it's just like, yeah, eh, maybe not. But like, I think people are always looking I mean, for the reasons. I think that like you can find meaning in stuff. Like, you know, I would argue. Do you think think that's meaning that's found? I don't mean to cut you off. Or do you think that's meaning that you put to it? So like, I think people just create the meaning in that. Just like your life. Like, I don't think your life has any meaning. I think it's up to you to make the meaning to give yeah, your life meaning. I think meaning. it's a little of both. I mean, look, things are, are connected. They're interrelated. And so, you know, I, did Corona happen for some reason? I don't think so. I think, it, yeah, someone ate a fucking bat. Like, <laughs> that's, that's why it happened. But if you were to put meaning to it, you could say, well, it, it it's a, certainly a good reminder for, of a lot of things, right? Like, of how we treat animals, of how we treat our planet and how we live our lives. I mean, I think it's interesting that this disease is, is only killing people that are, are fragile. I mean, it's literally natural selection. <laughs> you know, is that why it's happening? I don't think so. But yes, we can extrapolate meaning from it for the benefit of society or whatever. Yeah. I read an article a few weeks ago and it actually like really bizarre experience. This guy that I have not seen in a long time, like several years, maybe five, six, seven, eight plus years was like pretty persistent saying, let's go grab a beer. Let's go grab a beer. Let's catch up. And I was like, uh, okay. And finally when got a beer and like, I've been pretty actively writing. And I guess he read a blog that I wrote where I think it was titled something along the lines of like essentially covering that, like my belief that like things just happen. There's no meaning. And he like wanted to just have a friendly debate about why he really believes everything happens for a reason. (laughs) So anyways, I went, (laughs) yeah. So I went and had this whole long conversation with him, friendly debate. And someone the next day, like sent me this article because I told her that I had this like whole experience and she sent me this article that this woman wrote. That's like, my baby didn't die. So you could learn a fucking lesson. (laughs) And I really enjoyed reading that because I think for anyone that's never lived through something like very hard or even, you know, I'm sure there are people who have experienced significant loss or have lived through some tragedy and they they really do believe like this happened so I can go do that. But I don't know. I lost both my parents and I don't think it happened for any grand reason, lesson, so I could start a podcast and like be talking to you about it, you know? I do know. I mean, listen, I think that it's a way to, to try and turn a negative into a positive, which by the way, I think is a good thing. And, you know, we often talk about this. You and I met at this incredible organization. It's called Experience Camps. I'm sure you've probably talked about it before on the podcast. If not, shout out Experience Camps, one week summer camp uh, for kids who have lost a parent or a sibling. That's where you and I met. We were actually both there uh, as volunteer camp counselors our first summer together. I think both sitting in the audience (laughs) on orientation day, both incredibly scared but also optimistic and, and also probably really bored of, of whatever they were telling us at the time. And and so we happened to start talking to each other and, and we, we realized we had a connection. But yeah, I, I think that one of the things that they teach us at camp is that, you know, and, and what you and I have talked about, we never we, we never would have met if it wasn't for camp and, and we never would have gone to camp if, if we had both not experienced this terrible thing. And not only did we meet each other, but we met a whole other community of amazing people that you know, I would say has changed my life. I I think you would agree. And, you know, we talk about, oh, well, if if our dads never died, we never would have had this. And it's like, Danny, I love you. You're a fucking brother. I'd trade my dad any day for camp. 
but that said, like, I can't do that. It doesn't work that way, right? Like, you can't go back. And so I am thankful for that experience having brought me to camp, um, having led me to build a relationship with you and, and so many other incredible people because that has made me a better person. And it's one of the things I'm thankful for. Mm. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I think one of the things that's, I'm just like sitting here thinking about it as it relates to camp, your dad died and you were, you said you were, you were nine. Uh, I had just turned nine. It was like, like two weeks after my ninth birthday. So I'm curious, just thinking out loud here, it must be a really unique experience being at camp. I think the youngest group is eight, eight, nine, nine. right? So you always hear people say, oh, well, if you could give your younger self advice, where would your advice be? And I guess you actually have that opportunity every summer to connect with, you know, kids ages eight, nine, and so on and so forth, and give them advice, support, etc. that are going through, you know, that are dealing with their loss. And I'm curious, like, what is that advice that you would give your younger self? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I think I would tell myself to try and be more of a kid, try and, and enjoy and take advantage of childhood. You know, there's this period of time from, you know, when you're, you know, whatever, a young kid till when you graduate college. And I feel like, you know, the moment you graduate college, you're just like, all right, like you're, you're thrust into like the professional world. And some people are smart. They, they go, they work, they go travel the world for a summer or go mess around and go do something that isn't, you know, career driven. But once you start working, it's kind of like you're, you're kind of locked in you've got these like responsibilities and, you know, just shit you have to worry about. But when you're at home living under your parents' roof or, or your you know, wherever you're living, you know, typically you don't have those responsibilities and, you know, you just, there's so much more time to explore and, and to learn. And I, I wish that I had took advantage of that time more. And so, you know, I, I would have spent more time focusing on exploring hobbies, you know, and, and, and maybe developing some skills that I could use later in life. You know, I feel like everyone graduates. That's the one thing that I don't have kids yet. I, I hope one day I'll be fortunate enough to, but when I do, um, you know, I feel like my mission is to help them figure out what they want to do, what they're good at and what they like before they graduate from college, you know, maybe even before they go to college shit, maybe they don't even need to go to college. I, I personally thought college was kind of stupid, but you know, I, it's like everyone graduates and they're like, all right, what am what am I going to do now? It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> what the hell have you been doing for the past, <laughs> you know, 15 years? And so, yeah, I, I think for me, I would have just spent more time exploring and finding the things that I might like to do later in life. Yeah, that makes sense. Our system's so bizarre. Like anywhere else in the world, it's very typical that you would take like gap years, if not if not a year, years where you're like traveling, seeing the world, doing things before diving into the working world to like figure out what it is yeah. you enjoy yeah. and build some yeah. other skills. So you, you went like full throttle right from college, like straight into Pretty your career. Much, yeah. Did you have a drive to like take care of your mom or your family similar to your dad? Or would you say you were just like super driven? I think more the latter. Uh, you know, I was, I was very fortunate that 
you know, when my mom remarried, uh, the guy that, that she married was, was very successful. And so, you know, financially, you know, we, we didn't have to worry, which that's a small thing. It's, it's also, it's a huge thing. So I, I, you know, I'm very, very fortunate in that regard, I think. And I was for the most part brought up in that type of an environment and, and I was very aware of that. And, and so very fortunate and, and very grateful of that. And I, and I didn't take that for granted. And, and so I think that combined with the fact that everyone in my family was very, very driven. Um, I had three, three cousins, two of them were older, both very successful. Um, it was just kind of like an expectation to, to some extent and not just like in my family, but our, you know, our social circle, you know, again, had the good fortune of being surrounded by some really smart, some really successful people. And I, I think just, you know, not wanting to let anybody down, um, whether that was, you know, my mom or my, my dad or, you know, or me, you know, I wanted to be successful. In fact, I've, I've wanted to be successful so much that I've, I've done a bunch of shit that I, I don't enjoy. <laughs> and, and that's this constant balance <laughs> for me of like, you know, okay. And you, you always push me on this. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why are you doing so? Why would you spend a second in this life doing something that you don't enjoy? And I know this is a podcast, but I can see that yeah, shit eating grin it. on your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're, you know, you're right. You know, it, it is a balance. I mean, listen, I, I constantly go back and forth on this, but you know, I love to surf. That's like the number one thing that, that makes me happy. And, and so, you know, we often talk about it. So like, well, why don't you just go, you know, move to Puerto Rico and, and live, you know, live in your house in Puerto Rico and surf. And like, what? And, you know, there's, that sounds incredible. Uh, I get like just the chills even thinking about that as a possibility. But I, on this, at the same time, you know, there are some things that I want to accomplish for me to feel good about myself. And um, I probably also have a chip on my shoulder, you know, growing up uh, as sort of like the black sheep, you know, again, I, I wasn't, I acted out a little bit here and there in high school. I got into a lot of trouble and again, not because I'm a, a bad kid. I just, frankly, just didn't give a shit. And, you know, so everyone was like, oh yeah, you know, that's kids, you know, he's, a, he's a jerk, you know, he's a bad kid, whatever. It's, you know, I just wanted to prove everybody wrong and be like, you know, fuck you and sail off into the sunset with my surfboards. What are the things do you mind sharing? Like, what are the things you still want to accomplish? Like you're, you're, when I think of Ben Luntz, I think of a serial entrepreneur, super successful angel investor, super successful venture partner. I, you led a company through a successful acquisition. So like, why aren't you on the surfboard yeah. right now? Yeah. Obviously you have to be on this podcast. Right. First, so. so as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I'm packing up my bags and headed to Puerto Rico, put a nice bow on it. I'm getting there and uh, I feel like I'm, I'm closer than I've ever been. You know, I think I just wanted to get to the point where I could say that, you know, I, I was successful, quote unquote, whatever that means, you know, it's different for everybody, but I, you know, I wanted to have been able to point to something that I did and say, look, I, I did that. I'm responsible for that. No one else is. Um, and so I feel like I've done that in a couple of, couple of different ways and, you mentioned I, I started and, and sold a company. That was really, that was great. That was a notch in the belt. I've later started another company, well, a, a venture capital fund, and that's what I do now. And yeah, I listen, I, you know, 
that's a long-term thing and, and success is, is, is relative there. But I think we're doing really well. And I, I think, you know, the last thing is I just, I never want to have to worry about money. And again, it's just like, I not, I don't need to fly around in private jets, but I just want to make sure that, you know, that if I have kids that, that they can, you know, be afforded the same luxuries that I was, you know, which is just, again, not, not to ever have to worry about money, whatever that means. And, you know, I think it's different for everybody, you know, I want to live a comfortable lifestyle, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting close. And so I, I just turned 40, which is just crazy because one, I don't feel like I'm 40 years old. Two, it's, it's crazy because my dad was 39 when he died. And so I've now outlived him and that's just a total milestone slash mind fuck. But I feel like I'm, I'm finally to the part of my life where I'm transitioning into like being more focused on, you know, doing the things that make me happy than, than checking things off that, that success list. And I think a big part of that is, is building a family. And so, and I haven't done that yet. And so that, that might be the next chapter for me. Awesome. So I want to talk about your professional career, I guess, for a few minutes, but I'm sure there's going to be a good amount of people listening to this who are young in their 20s, maybe 30s, 20s, 30s, high school, college, around that area, who are trying to, one, either figure out what it is they want to do or think they know what they want to do, or they're like just starting, like starting their career, starting to I guess let's call it like grow, climb the ladder, and career is a big part of their life right now. Their professional career is like probably a big chunk of their focus. And it sounds like you sort of alluded to it before, but checking these boxes versus doing the things that bring you actual happiness. If you were to give advice to someone who's in their 20s, mid-20s, let's call it, sort of in just starting out essentially their their career what would be the advice that you would give them? And I guess equal to that, um, I'm curious what advice you would tell them to ignore. Mm-hmm. Listen, let me start by saying that everyone's path is is different, right? There, there's no right or wrong answer. It's a lot like, you know, what I do with investing now. It's like, we'll see a company and, and we look at it and like, oh, is that a good company? Is that a good investment? Well, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it, right? You have to create a, a criteria, a framework you know, good for what? And so, you know, everybody's situation is different. You know, I I think I was in a situation again, where I was, I was fortunate enough that I had, you know, some financial support from my parents. I, I didn't have a a significant other or, or even a a child or even a, a sick parent to take care of. I had some freedom and some ability to go try different things. And, and I chose to take some risk. And, you know, that was driven by the fact that I just, I didn't want to, I've always had really bad ADD, ADHD, whatever. And so sitting behind a desk is quite challenging for me, but I would really push myself to do that. And so so working in general is sort of challenging. And so the point is that I didn't want to work for someone else. I felt like if I could figure out a way to, to do my own thing, you know, I could, I could have my cake and eat it too. And that's always sort of been my, my thing. But in order to do that, you have to, you have to sort of go out on a ledge and, and take some, some risk and, and you could be left, you know, hanging dry and, and you could fall off that ledge. You know, I think for me, I always tried to go out on that ledge, but, you know, to be in a place where 
if I fell, I wouldn't die. You know, it wouldn't kill me. I, you know, I might get hurt. I might get bumped, bruised up, you know, but I, I, I had, had some sort of a safety net. You know, some, some people, you know, have, have higher tolerance for risk and, you know, are just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go do this. Cause what do I have to lose? I don't have anything to lose. That's kind of a state of mind, especially when you're younger. Cause in theory, you shouldn't have that much to lose. But I, I think the thing is to think about, well, when you take risks, you know, you're taking time away from, you know, time that could be dedicated, like climbing that corporate ladder or, or taking that more traditional path, which by the way, for some people is, is an awesome path. You know, some people aren't built to go and, and do their own thing. It's very stressful. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Some people thrive in, in that space. Some, some people, you know, die in, in that sort of space. So I think, you know, knowing what, what you're good at and, and trying to put yourself in a position that, you know, that helps, uh, helps you swim downstream, so to speak, is important. And knowing what kind of, you know, risks that you want to tolerate. You know, listen, you and I always talk about this, right? You have a lot of friends that are climbing that corporate ladder right now. And you're like, man, I would never do that. Like, that just sucks. Like, and, you know, conversely, I'm sure a lot of your friends would look at what you're doing, you know, being an entrepreneur, trying to run your own business and go, you know, man, I can never do that. Like I can never have the uncertainty of not knowing where my next paycheck is going to come from. And so, you know, it's just, you got to sort of do what's, what's right for you. That said, you, you might not know. And so that's where trying new things is important. And again, that's why I go back to, to childhood where, you know, sort of you're in this space, whether it's high school, even in college, where you have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to go just try new things, learn new things, explore. And, and if you fall off that ledge, you're not going to fall too far. And that's kind of a nice thing. Anyways, all that said, for me, I sort of stood at the edge of the ledge. You know, I, I worked my ass off to get a couple of, of corporate jobs initially out of college. But then it's just, you know, everything I, I did after that was trying to do, to do on my own. And, you know, I failed a couple of times, but I also learned a tremendous amount. All good. I looked at your LinkedIn before and um, like maybe a, a few days ago and I'm like, what the hell? I didn't even know that some of yeah, these things existed. I, yeah, I've done a lot of things. I Back in the day, I was I worked in the music business. I used to, um, at one point in time when I was, I was young and living in, in New York City, I managed Motley Crue among other things. And yeah, so it was a, it was a circuitous career path and I think, you know, I remember when I was bouncing around from one thing to the other, I was like, man, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, where is this going to go? And, you know, how is this going to you know, get me to where I want to be? But, you know, where I am now looking back, it, it all makes sense. And yeah, maybe just because it came together. I don't know. I'm curious what your feelings are, just given what you do professionally. I guess I'm curious right now with the coronavirus, tons of people getting laid off, lots of people getting furloughed. So I always challenge, I guess, like how certain, you know, you talked about like people don't can't stand the uncertainty with a paycheck or not knowing what where your next paycheck is. But I always sort of challenge that. Like, like I rather be in control. I'm just using this as, as an example. Like I rather make $65,000 a year and be in control and know that I'm going to make the $65,000 a year and have potential to make $75,000 doing what I love and like having control of my schedule, et cetera, then having my life be in the hands of, I guess, the more corporate ladder and being like, maybe I'll make $75,000 or $80,000. But I always feel like there's actually not so much certainty or security in that. I mean, 
even now, tons of people I know are getting laid off or furloughed, which is essentially like, hey, we have no money coming in. So like, peace, if we have money later on, we'll hire you again. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, I, I would also just offer another viewpoint, which is to say that, you know, for you, you think that, you know, having control is is doing your own thing for for some other people you know that seems wild and uncertain right like you know they would say well no i yes i could get laid off but i know what my salary is i know that you know i get x y and z benefits and if i do get laid off at least i have this experience for my resume which i can then go use to get another job etc cetera, etc cetera versus trying to do your own thing. I mean, look, you're you're good at what you do and and you figured out a way to to create stability there, but statistically speaking, 90% of the companies that are started end up closing their doors, I think within like 18 months or something like that. So, whatever the case is, you know, it it yeah, it, it, there's a different way of looking at it. But yeah, I think look, it's it goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, for me, the one thing that I've distilled is just that you know, being, and I, I gave this, this speech to, to some campers at experience camps one summer. And, and I, this is like one of my big insights. And I, again, this is what I wish I'd spent more time on when I was, I was younger, which is to say that where I see the intersection of success is when you have someone that is doing something that they're good at, that they're actually good at, they have a skill there and they also enjoy doing that thing. That's where it doesn't really, it's not work. And if you can develop those skills at a young age in areas that, you know, that you enjoy working, the sky's the limit. And otherwise I think you're, you're, you're trying, it's like one or the other, right? It's like, well, I could do my own thing, but how am I going to figure that out? I mean, look, you know, you're a good example, Danny, like you didn't just like quit your job and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. You started honing your skills as an entrepreneur when you were 14 years old. So that like kind of was a natural path for you. And I hear you. And I agree. I actually think it's great advice because like, I really do agree. You need to find what you're passionate about, like what brings you happiness, but equal to that, like what you're good at, because like I could really enjoy dancing, but I could suck at it and then like not be able to like make a living of it. And I do suck at dancing. (laughs) But regardless of that, like I would use you as the example for surfing. Just to like, just to play like devil's advocate yeah. or counter it. But it also depends because there's levels to everything, right? Like if your desire is to go build like a hundred million dollar, even like a $10 million company, like that's really, really difficult. But again, just using this for sake of example, if I'm weighing like being, let's say, let's say like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being super happy and I could have like an $80,000 job doing something in the more corporate world and I'm only five happiness, or I could go and start like, I could surf every day and start a surfing company and make like $65,000 a year. I would always choose the $65,000. But like, of course, there's levels to it. If you're like, I want to put more emphasis on making more money, then maybe you're like, I'm willing to sacrifice some level of happiness right now at the opportunity to make more cash doing something else. I'm like, put aside surfing. I'm using surfing not as you as the example, just as no, like- No, that's a good example. And example. let's use it as an example with me. I mean, I have a house in Puerto Rico. Is one of the things I'm most proud of. Wait, can you tell everyone about, you're on MTV. <laughs> so I feel like this is- Yeah, I mean, I bought a piece of land uh, on the Northwest coast of, of Puerto Rico in a small town called Rincon. Uh, it has some of the best surfing in the world. 
and it's uh, easy to access from uh, the East Coast of the United States. So when I was living in New York, it was just a, a quick three and a half hour flight from Manhattan. So quick that I would I would often just go for a weekend or for a couple of days here and there. That's how I, I kept my sanity. And you know I was able to to do that because of the money that I made in my professional career, because of the sacrifices that I made there. And you know, vice versa, I was able to you know continue working and living in New York City without going without completely and utterly losing my fucking mind because I had this amazing escape down in Puerto Rico and I could, you know, in the winter I could jet down for three days and, you know, it was, it was magical. And, and I've, I've had some of the best times of my life. Um, and I did it with two of my closest friends and it was just, it brought us even closer together. And it was just a really incredible experience that I, I wouldn't trade for anything. And yes, the, the house was featured on MTV at one point. Um, <laughs> You'll have to send me the link. So I, I will share. send you the link. There's a funny video uh, of me in there. Whatever the case may be, I, uh, you know, I think that that's a good example. You know, if you know, if I were to just, uh, if I just, you know, graduated college and said, you know, fuck it, I'm gonna go be a surf bum. You know, I, I'd probably be living in a shack some somewhere. Although, who knows? Maybe not. Right? I mean, that, the argument for that is, oh, okay, well, you go and you're. You're living in your best life. You're doing what you want to be doing. And so you're swimming downstream and naturally you're just going to like, you know, evolve into doing things that you can build on that, you know, whatever that may look like. I mean, and sure, maybe I end up starting a surf company or a a surf tourism company or something completely different. I I don't know. You know, for me, again, it was just, I, given the, the social Social circumstances, I guess, for lack of a better description that I grew up in, you know, I, I felt like that would be kind of like an escape that would be frowned upon. And, you know, again, I, you should never do, you know, what other people think, but it, you know, it's also, you know, I, I feel like I would, I would not be happy with myself because there are things that I needed to accomplish. And listen, all I want to do is, is go live in that house and, and, or some other beautiful house in a tropical paradise and surf. I, I, I would be happy. That's all I need for the rest of my life. But I don't think I would be happy having not accomplished anything. So, you know, mm. it, it's like, I don't know, you, you work out a lot, right? And those muscles are are the reward of, of a lot of hard work. You know, maybe some people just want to take a pill or, or you know, something to, to get that, but I don't think it's the same. I, I think, you know, earning that, makes it a lot sweeter, whatever it may be, whether it's, it's muscle or money or, or something else. Mm-hmm. I think you, you mentioned at the beginning that there is no necessarily like, right. It's not like this is the right way. I think it's more like what you want to yeah, ultimately do. I, I think that that's important. And yeah. So, so you gotta like, again, figure out what that, what those filters are, what, you know, people talk about EQ, right. That's, you know, when you're talking about balance, you know, you need some of this, some of that, maybe a little of this, maybe a little less of, of this other thing. And you got to find that right mix for, for you, whatever that looks like. Society is like very, I mean, there's so many people on my network who will tell me like, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. And like, it's like, no, like, fuck you. I'll do whatever I want because that's what I want to do. And like, there's no right. Like, I want to start to put a lot of time and energy into this podcast and see where it brings me, whether it be a podcast, whether it be speaking, writing, I want to ride this wave and like, see where this nets out. And I don't know, for right now, like, I'm having a time in my life an hour in speaking with, you know, one of my best friends, a brother, a mentor, and like, I wouldn't trade this for the world. But I mean, I don't know where it will bring me. But like, I just started posting more, you know, and then 
people started messaging me in my network and they're like, what's the podcast? Is it a side gig or is it a passion project? And it's like, they want me to put it in a bucket where it's like, this is, it's a business or it's not, or it's a passion. And it's like, it will be what I want it to be. And it doesn't really matter if you want to listen. Great. If you don't, I don't really care, but like, I'm going to do what's best, what I think is best for me. And like, stop casting your judgment that like, like some people were like, Oh, if it's not going to produce money, why would you do that? It's like, you need to go find some things maybe that you're passionate about outside of, of work. And I guess going back, I used to think it was like cool to be in the office, like late night, plugging away, grinding away. And now I'm just like, that is the least cool thing. Like, this is awesome. It's like seven o'clock on a, <laughs> on a Monday night. This is awesome. But like me plugging away, working on some like advertising campaign or marketing campaign or sales campaign at like seven o'clock at night. I don't know if that's really where I want to be spending my energy. So I also think cause like Gary V, like the whole hustle mentality and like work, work, work. And I think even like he's shifted his message quite a bit as well. But I think like the message should be a lot more around like creating a path towards like, honestly, more like what you hit upon finding what you're good at and what makes you happy. But just like working late night is not, that's not like the cool thing or I don't know. I, I have a lot of older friends in, in my network that reach out to me when I announced that I was launching this and all they wanted to know was like, well, how are you going to make money if this is what hmm. you pursue one day? And it's like, don't worry about it. Like it's yeah, going to be well, what I it's going to be. I think that's why, again, going back to, you know, this whole childhood thing and that space of like, you know, being able to just like not have to worry about making money, just do the things that, you know, that you enjoy. Because that's how you can, you know, you can find those sweet spots, you know, the sweet spot of the intersection between what you're good at and what you enjoy. And I found that, you know, the people that have found that earlier on in life are just naturally more successful because again, they're, they're kind of swimming downstream. But yeah, I mean, listen, like I, I remember working late nights. I remember my first job out of college. I was, I remember graduating and I, I remember having a conversation with my stepdad who, again, very successful guy, he's an investment banker. And trying to get some career advice. And, and I remember him saying, you know, follow your heart, Ben, follow your passion. And it was like, all right, you know, like, cool. Again, it's like, I, I kind of wish I had that conversation like 10 years earlier, <laughs> like <laughs> that I could actually, you know, have facilitated some learning around things like that. You know, I mean, shit, like I, I always was obsessed with surfing and you know, which was weird being a kid, like a, a Jewish kid growing up in a suburb in Boston, right? It's like, you know, but if maybe if yeah. my, if I'd leaned into that a little bit more and, you know, my, my mom and my stepdad had supported that more, I could have, you know, gone and, and learned how to make surfboards. You know, maybe I could have gone to a, a design, you know, school or something like that, you know, w whatever the case, but that's neither here nor there. I think the point is, is that you got to work hard at anything that you do if you want to be successful, like success does not come yeah. easy. I don't care what anybody says, you know, sure you can get lucky. I mean, shit, a lot of people that are successful got lucky, but it's also a combination of, of hard work and luck, maybe even being in, in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And, and so I don't know, my first job out of college, I, sorry, was bouncing around my stepdad's, you know, follow your heart, do what, what you love. And I, at the time I really loved music. Um, I went to school at the University of Vermont at a, a huge music scene there. I, I worked at the Higher Ground, which was like their premier live music venue. I guess it was the equivalent of like Irving Plaza for, for those of, of your listeners that are living in New York City. And it was great. And I just loved it. It was awesome. And so I went into the music business and I, you know, I did everything possible to try and get a job there. And I, I did. I landed what, you know, 
was a, a very sought after job at a, a company called Clear Channel Entertainment, which is now Live Nation, the largest promoter of live entertainment events in the world. And, you know, I, I did some really, really cool stuff. You know, I, I just wasn't super happy and it was, it almost sort of turned me off from music a, a little bit. But yeah, you know, listen, I, I remember working late nights, uh, you know, and I remember, you know, I mean, late nights, 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, doing just whatever needed to get done because I was an assistant at that time. And, you know, there was there was a lot to be said for that. Like, I, I think that that hard work builds character, you know, uh, discipline, you know, respect. And those are those are traits that you need to be successful. You know, so yeah, but that doesn't mean that you have to to do that. I mean, you know, I, I think that those are those are traits that you possess, and you didn't learn those things because you were you know chained to a desk in a, in an office in a high rise in Manhattan till eleven o'clock at night. You know, so yeah, it just it just depends, really. And you know, for people to say, oh, that's you know that's stupid or that's what again, it's it's might be stupid for them, but you know, it's, it's gotta be about what's, what's right for you. What makes sense for, for you based on, you know, your skill set, based on your situation, you know, based on, on your goals, your tolerance for, you know, for, for stress, for uncertainty or vice versa, your, your desire for stability. Yeah. I really like a quote that I read like a few weeks ago. That's there's no right. There's only right for you. And, um, I don't know. It's obviously not mind explosion, like blown here, but I do think a lot of people feel like even just like, I remember after college, I knew what I was going to go and do, but a lot of my friends were like, I need to find the perfect job out of school. And it's like, like you're going to go and get a job and like, it's either going to be good or won't be good. And most like, it almost certainly won't be your last job. And as a result, you'll make some new decisions based on like the new data that you get from that job. Did you like it? Did you not like it? And all those things. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of people put pressure on themselves or society puts it on themselves, like their parents, their siblings, their friends, like you need to go and do X, Y, Z if you want to be like a mm -hmm. social norm. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's definitely the truth. You got to fight that. You got to resist that to the extent that you can, you know, and you got to just be honest with yourself about what you want. Again, you know, for me, some of those social norms or, or whatever, you know, those expectations, those are, those are what drove me. And you know, I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm okay with that, but there's an extent to which I need to be careful of that. Right. And I, I've always been a, a hardworking individual and, and sometimes, you know, my friends will say, wow, you know, you've, you've done so much, you've accomplished so much or whatever, you know, you know, it's all relative. What's going to be enough? When are you going to know? And, I, and I'm always like, oh, I'm going to know. I'll know. Cause it's just, as soon as I feel like I'm I'm off kilter, I'm I'm you know, I'm too far in one direction. I'm I'm losing that balance. I'll feel it. And and you gotta but you gotta be really aware and you gotta be really honest with yourself about that. And so that means you gotta be constantly questioning yourself. You can't be questioning yourself so much that you're just like you know not going anywhere. But you gotta be you know making sure that you're on the right path. And so being inquisitive and and thoughtful helps helps you to do that. And yeah, and being honest about it. And also I'll add to that, you know, priorities change, you know, I mean, at one point in your life, you know, maybe, maybe money is more important than at another point in your life, or, you know, maybe free mm -hmm. time is, is more important at another time. So it, it, again, it's just, 
what do you want to prioritize? You know, what, what kind of life do you, do you want to create for yourself? What, what's going to make you happy? And you got to define that, I feel like, or, or try, you know, because when you're doing and you don't know where or why, that can be challenging. Now, again, you know, that said, like people would also argue that you just, you got to go and, and I would argue this too, you got to go just jump in. And, and, and you'll figure it out. You know, there is an element of that. You really do. I mean, I think that's how I got to where I am. But yeah, again, at the time, I remember being like, what the heck am I doing? Like, why, where is this going to lead me? Looking back on it, yeah. it makes sense. I can definitely resonate with priorities change. I think even like as I think of the direction I want to go now, it's greatly different from a year ago. It's greatly different from three years ago. And I guess my priorities have greatly changed as well. I think definitely like um, when my dad died, it was like instantly like grew up overnight. I was like, get me out of college. I want to go provide for my mom, my sisters and my family and had this like tremendous desire. And I'm like, my greatest feeling was that being in college, I'm not making like, I'm not getting any closer to me being in a position to provide and I was just like, get me out of here as fast as possible. And like what I thought I wanted after my dad died greatly stemmed from a position of or the the feelings of just wanting to provide and like take care of my mom. And I guess when my mom died, and I'm still working through it now, but I'd say I had a great continued to work through it, but really a big transformation where I guess really for like the first time in five years, I wasn't thinking, what do I want to do to provide like how can I provide more for my mom or my sisters or my family but really like what is it that I want to go and do for me and I don't really think like and like now I'm engaged and I do think more so like back to the feeling of I want to make sure I can provide for the family I'll build one day but I guess I'd say much more the path I'm trying to like get on are finding the things that I'm both good at, but also, I guess, the things that really are a source of happiness. And I guess I'm really trying to like lean into that. And I guess that's been interesting for me personally to not lean in so much on like just what makes the most financial sense in this moment because like I I don't really have that tremendous feeling or desire, not necessarily desire, I guess necessity where it's like I need to provide for my mom. And I guess it wasn't really like we were never in that position, but that's sort of the position I decided to take. And I guess when she, when she died, I greatly shifted my mindset where it was like, what do I want to do with my life? And now we're sitting here on this podcast. There you go, man. It's amazing how the world works. (laughs) I also, I like this quote that I figured I'd share and it's not so much around priorities, but as you mentioned, like your priorities change. I saw this a few weeks ago and Uh, It goes, endings don't have to be failures, especially when you choose to end a project or shut down a business. Even the best gigs don't last forever, nor should they. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've heard the quote there's, you know, or the saying that there's, there's no failing, there's only learning. And, you know, I think I would add to that. Well, yeah. If, so if you're talking about ending something, shutting something down, well, yeah, it's a failure if you didn't learn anything from it then it's a failure, right? Because you just wasted time. Maybe you wasted money. But if you can if you can walk away from it and say, you know what? 
here's some positive things that I took away. You know, I learned how to do this, or, or maybe more importantly, you know, sometimes the most important thing is I, I learned not to do X, Y, and Z, right? And those are the most valuable lessons. I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've, listen, I've had lots of failures as an investor, but that's where I learned my most, my most valuable lessons. And, uh, and that's how I build my, you know, my pattern recognition that I use today to, to help me, you know, in theory, make better investments. So that said, it's tough. We, we all want to win. We all want to do something that, you know, is impactful. It's positive. It's quote unquote successful. But yeah, it's, that's not always going to be the case, you know? And so you just got to learn from it and then it's not a failure. Mm. I wanted to ask you about your mentor kid. I read quite a bit about him in some of my research leading up to this. Like, how did you guys even connect? I started reading about him and I had a million questions. It's a crazy story. Kid Craddock, David Craddock, actually most people don't know his real name, was a radio DJ. He was host of Kid Craddock in the Morning, which if you grew up on the East Coast, like me, like you, you've probably never heard of him. That said, uh, he had the largest nationally syndicated radio show in the country. Uh, he was in, I mean, he was in more markets than, than Ryan Seacrest, I, I believe. Uh, I think it was like 80, 90 markets. And not only uh, was he the host of this radio show, but also many people didn't know, he actually owned the network that it was on. And so he syndicated it and he was, he was very, very successful. I met Kid through a, an interesting sequence of events. I was working in the music industry. I was working for a management firm called 10th Street Entertainment. We managed about 30 different artists ranging from Hanson to Motley Crue, as I'd mentioned before, and uh, was managing a young up-and-coming artist, a guy named Freddie, young, very, very talented kid from New York City. And I don't know what year it was. I want to say maybe uh, 2008-ish, maybe 2009. He signed one of the largest record contracts for a new artist in, in the country, I think in the world at the time. And uh, he was with Virgin Records, had a very, very bright future. And I was, I was his, his manager. And Virgin Records went through some corporate restructuring, merged with another label and uh, subsequently, he was dropped from his label. No rhyme or reason. Just kind of got lost in the shuffle, and it shocked all of us. And, you know, he was very, very disenfranchised as a, as a young kid, and I was utterly surprised. And and as he, you know, and he actually dropped out of college. He was also a brilliant kid. He was at Penn at the time, and he decided he was going to go back to school. And and so he was back at school, and and this DJ. Kid Craddock, who had a morning show, was on a on a pop radio station. Uh, Freddie was a pop pop rock artist, and Kid just discovered his uh, his music somehow and heard the story about what had happened, and well, asked him to be a guest on his on his show, and he was, and it was a huge hit, and the two of them became good friends, and this evolved into a, a very interesting sequence of events where. Kid said, "Hey, listen, Freddie. I'm, you know, I'd love for you to perform live on on the air. You know, I have millions of of listeners on, on my show every single morning." And Freddie said, "That'd be amazing. I'd love to do that." And he said, "Okay, cool. Well, you know, we're in Dallas, and and uh, you know, what about this Friday? Could you come on?" And Freddie was like, "Yeah, you know, I, of course." And he said, "But I'm I'm at school. I'm you know I'm in 
in Pennsylvania. And kids said, well, yeah. If you could get to Dallas by Friday, I'd love to have you on there. Anyways, got to go. And so next thing we knew, Freddie was was packing up his car and his trailer and, and road trip into Dallas. And he stopped along the way. I think it took, you know, several days to drive there. And, and, and everywhere he would stop, he would perform. And, you know, I think the first place he stopped at, there was like probably four people there. Uh, and kid was following him on the radio show. So people knew about it. And at the second stop was somewhere, you know, in like, I don't know, Nashville or something like that. I, actually, there's a little crowd there. And long story short, by the time he got to Dallas, he showed up and there were thousands of people outside the radio station waiting for him to get there. This whole thing was broadcast live on air and he performed live and it was amazing. And, uh, and kid was like, wow, that was incredible. Thank you. And, and Freddie was like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life. Like, this is amazing. I, I just can't believe it. You know, kid's like, yeah, it was, it was amazing. I, you know, thank you so much. Anyways, listen, I, you know, thank you. Uh, good luck. Got to go. And Freddie was like, wait, I, but I don't, I don't want to go. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Got to go. And he's, well, I, I don't know. What if I, what if I didn't, what if I stayed? And kid's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, might've been a little showmanship to all this, but that's not the point. The point is, is that he said, well, I want to, I want to stay and I want to live in here and I want to work with you. And I want to, I want to make this album that I never got to make. And, and I want to do it with you and your fans. And so for the next six months, Freddie lived in Dallas and was on the radio show every morning and uh, using inspiration from the fans to help write his music and then previewing clips of that music and, and ultimately later performing full songs on air, built one of the ever, I think one of the first ever crowdsourced albums. And, and throughout this process, in the early stages, he called me up and he said, Hey, I, I, you're not going to believe this. You know, I'll send you a link to this article or whatever, the, a link to listen to the radio show. And like, do you know who this kid Craddock guy is? I'm like, no, he's massive. He's huge everywhere else. You got to check him out. I'm like, okay. And he said, anyways, listen, I, I need your help. I want, I need someone to help manage this whole thing. Why don't you come live in Dallas with me? I got the kid put me up in this loft and down the street from the studio. It'd be amazing. And uh, long story short, I said, yes, I moved to Dallas and uh, <laughs> I spent the next couple months working with Freddie and, and Kid and helping him to write this album and record this album. And it was just a wild experience. Again, yeah, I've got a lot to, to tell you about, but it culminated, you know, uh, with Freddie doing a live performance at a, in front of 20,000 people at a stadium in Dallas. And we were back and forth to LA recording the album. We put a band together. It was just wild. And over that period of time, I became very, very close with, with Kid. We developed a very close uh, personal and professional relationship. And he became uh, a mentor of mine. Uh, he was like a father figure, uh, again, both personally and professionally. Um, he took a real interest in me. And, um, I took a real interest in him. I mean, he just, just a tremendous, tremendous individual, completely self-made, wildly successful, but also wildly generous and, and thoughtful. As an illustrative example, kid built a charity called kids, kids, where once a year he would charter a 737 aircraft from Dallas and he would fill it up with terminally ill kids 
uh, kids that were dying of cancer, and he would fly them to Disneyland for a week just to give them the best week of their life. And yeah, that was one of many things that, that he did to help give back. You know, I've always been taught that, that charity is important. Um, that is certainly a, a, a defining moment in my life where I realized just how important it was. But yeah, we became very good friends and we, we traveled all over the world together. And uh, I learned a tremendous amount from him. And uh, he was like a father figure of, of mine, and um, which made it that much more difficult when he died suddenly five years ago last July. So yeah, that was that was a real, real kick in the nuts. How long did you live in Dallas? I lived in Dallas for a short period of time. I think it was like four or five months. Okay. What was the best advice that he ever gave you? Oh man, the best advice. I don't know if it was advice or things that I've learned, but you know, he always used to say, you know, keep keep looking up because that's where it all is. And you know, what that means is just, you know, stay positive, shoot for the stars, never look down and drag your head and be sad because that, that's not going to help anything. You know, he was a real optimist and there's a lot that can be said for positive thinking. Positive thinking can materialize into positive actions and and, and actually create positive outcomes. And he was, he was truly a, a fundamentally positive thinker. And, and very optimistic and very, very ambitious. And, you know, and he didn't let things get to him. And so, yeah, I think that that was great advice. The other thing that he was just incredible at was listening. A lot like our friend Sunil, who I know you recently had on the podcast. There are very few people that can make you feel like you're the only person in the world when you're talking to them, that they're just so mm-hmm. focused on you and what you're saying, and they care so much. That's a special thing. And he was really good at that. Yeah, those are two things that I I learned from him. Are you still in touch with Freddie? Freddie and I don't talk as much as we used to. I think we maybe just have gone our our different ways in, in life, but I've got a lot of love for Freddie and vice versa. We've we've shared a lot of a lot of crazy times together. Good and bad. And I, I, I wish him all the best. He's, he's now, uh, interestingly enough, you know, he's the guy's so talented, but he never really liked performing in front of crowds, which is ironic for someone that wants to be a, a performer professionally. That said, he was just always just brilliant with, with music and, and um, actually really found his place, not in front of the microphone, but behind the microphone, behind the soundboard. So he's, he's now a very, very successful music producer and has produced for, you know, everyone from Kanye to Shakira and a hundred other artists in between. I think he's, you know, Grammy award winning producer, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know. Awesome. Well, I think maybe it's time we we wrap it up. Anything else that you want to share? Yeah. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for having me on. I want to say thank you for being such an incredible friend and for being such an incredible inspiration in my life. I know that you said that I was a mentor of yours. Well, you're just as much a mentor of mine. And one of the the most amazing things about being a mentor is that uh, it goes both ways. And uh, I feel fortunate to to have built the relationship that that we have and uh, and and to have learned 
everything that I have from, from you. And, uh, and we've had a lot of fun along the way. So yeah, thanks for starting this podcast. This is, this is cool. You're cool. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm so proud of you and I'm just so feel so lucky to, to be your friend and yeah, just looking at your smiling face right now. It's making me happy, even yeah. though it's on a computer screen and we're thousands of miles <laughs> apart. How can people, if you want, I understand if you don't want, but how can people get a hold of you? Uh, if they want to find you? you don't need to find me. <laughs> <laughs> all right sweet well thanks so much for for being on the show i hope everyone enjoyed that episode for more info you can go to bitsofgold.co be sure to follow along on instagram at bitsofgold underscore podcast bitsofgold underscore podcast and lastly if you like that episode be sure to subscribe and leave a review it would mean the world to me thank you for tuning in and more to come this following week Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.